All are invited into the kingdom, and God will use anyone that's available and teachable to do remarkable work and to spread his love. And we've been celebrating that throughout this series. We have a new series coming up. There's two left in this series. And then we're going to dive into the book of Psalms this summer. The message is called Refresh for the Summer. Anyone looking forward to a spiritually refreshing summer? Anyone want that? Ready for that? Yeah, just kind of sense it. Let's go into Psalms. Let's meet deeply with God and God will renew us in his word by his spirit. So that's the direction we're going today. We're continuing in the parables. We're in Luke chapter 10. This is a parable known as the Good Samaritan and the story of the Good Samaritan. Today, we're going to focus on this message, cross the road, cross the road. Can we say that together out loud? Cross the road. Turn to the person next to you and say, let's cross the road together. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing us together, God, in your presence today and your purposes. God, we sense this day is drenched with purpose. And Father, our ears are open, our hearts, our souls, our minds. God, we desire to follow you, listen to you, trust you, take the next steps together. And we don't take it for granted that we have food and clothes that we have freedoms in this land, God, that you blessed us in so many ways. And Jesus, the salvation we have in you, it's beyond words or songs. And we come with gratitude today. And we also come with faith, trusting that you're gonna do a mighty work, a powerful work, God, in our lives in this hour. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jesus told parables to reveal who really wants his kingdom. Jesus told parables to see who's really hungry for God's presence in God's kingdom. And it becomes evident through these parables. Now, today's parable is called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's a well-known parable around the world. You might be somewhat familiar with this parable. Maybe you've studied it or you've thought about it several times. Maybe you like to talk about it. In our culture, it's really a feel-good story. And it's one we should talk about. It's also important to note, in the original context, this parable is stunning. It's stunning because it separates religious people who like to rationalize and have a bunch of excuses, and it separates them from real followers of God who will be faithful in their generation. Jesus brought this parable as a challenge, and the context is Q&A. Because people like to come to Jesus and ask questions. Some were very sincere. They wanted to learn more. They wanted to know more. They wanted to know him. Other people brought questions that were skeptical. They wanted to try to trap him or trick Jesus. And if they could find flaws in Jesus, they could take down his ministry. Jesus was used to fielding questions with many different motives. And in this particular instance, this man wants to test Jesus. Jesus engages the mind He answers the question intellectually and biblically, and then he moves to the heart. That's how Jesus works. He wants us to love God with all of our mind and all of our heart and soul. And in these conversations and debates that would happen then and conversations that happen now, God engages the mind, and then he moves to the heart. Facts build our faith. Faith is based on facts. We want to think, but Jesus doesn't just stop on that level. He moves to the heart. God moves through the mind and the heart, and Jesus will take the conversation that's intellectual and make it very personal. And he'll do that with us as we spend time in God's word today. 
cross the road. We start in Matthew, or Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Some people have answers, but not much action. Some people have a lot of great answers, but not much action. Their minds and their mouths are saying the right thing, but their hearts and their lives are saying something very different. This man, his mind and his mouth were going the right direction. He was an expert in the law. That doesn't mean a judicial sense or a legislative sense. It means that he knew Mosaic law. He was an expert in the Bible. And he brought that opening question, that starting question, Jesus, tell me about eternal life. And that was a common question of the day. People were discussing and trying to figure out eternal life and what makes a difference. How do you know you're going to go to heaven? People today are wondering, it's through faith alone and Christ alone. And as he asked this question, and it's a starting question, it wasn't the core question. Have you noticed when you talk to people, they might ask a question, or your kids or grandkids might ask a question, and you could answer that question, or you could get to the real question. Because there's a starting question that isn't their burning question. There's a starting question that isn't the core question. And the opening of, hey, let's talk about eternal life, Jesus is going to move from that general question to a very specific topic. And he wants to test Jesus. He brings a question. And Jesus responds with two questions. It's brilliant. As I'm reading this text this week, I'm thinking, I don't do this enough. If people bring a question, I'm quick to bring an answer. Jesus so often brought a couple more questions. And what are questions you can ask people? When they ask you a question, you could ask them this. Well, what do you think? You're going to find out a lot. And, and then you ask them, well, how do you feel about that? You see, they bring you one question, then you ask a couple questions. Well, what do you think? And how do you feel about that? And now the question goes from the starting topic to the very deep topic. And Jesus wants to take it deep. He's never satisfied just to have an intellectual discussion. It's always very spiritual and personal, and he'll go to the heart. And this man is, he's got a few layers to his personality, and people don't see past the outer shell. And a lot of people know your outside life, but they don't know the inner life. Jesus knows the inner life of this man. He understands where this question comes from. He responds with two questions. Well, this man, as a Bible scholar and a theologian, brings a good answer. He goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. And then he goes over to Leviticus. And Leviticus, in chapter 19, this is what the scripture says. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In other words, as you respect God, you're going to love your neighbor. As you respect God, you're going to forgive your neighbor. The vertical has everything to do with the horizontal. I am the Lord. 
Love your neighbor is not something that just popped up or sprang up in the New Testament. It's throughout the Old Testament, going back to Leviticus and the law. Jesus affirms and confirms the entire scripture. You've answered correctly. We have 66 books in the Bible. Every one of them is the word of God. Don't tear out a verse or a page. Don't say the New Testament or the Old Testament is superior. Jesus affirms the scripture. This is the word of God. We're living in a culture right now that's searching for truth. Doesn't know where to turn for truth. Just trying to follow trends or advice or what my friends are doing. This is the truth of God. It's God's word. It never changes. And Jesus confirms that in this conversation. For this man answered correctly... But he wasn't actually correct. You can answer biblically correctly, but not actually be correct. Because you're correct with your mouth and your mind, but your heart and your lifestyle and your actions don't align. And that was what Jesus saw through. He wasn't going to be duped by just a great another Bible quiz answer. And let's move on. No, he's looking at the heart and he's talking about the life. This man comes back with a question. Well, then who's my neighbor? Now we're getting to the core of the issue. Who's my neighbor? When he's asking this, he's really asking a question we often feel. God, am I doing enough? Am I loving enough? Do I have to love everyone? What about the difficult people in my family and my church and where I work? And, you know, what about spouse and kids and what about my in-laws or in-loves whichever you prefer to say uh do i really need to who's my neighbor god do i need to look beyond america how far beyond america how many countries how many continents who is my neighbor he wanted to justify himself we have the same motives hey god i'm doing enough right that's enough that's enough you're happy i'm happy we're good i don't have to do anything more i kind of like it this way right god we're good Well, he had a choice. He was at a crossroads. At this point, he could have said, God, I'm not very good at loving people the way you love people. And sometimes I run out of love. And sometimes I get scared. And sometimes I'm selfish. Sometimes I don't know the words to say. Sometimes it's hard for me to be generous. Jesus, will you lead me? Will you help me? I need you, Lord Jesus. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. I know I'm flawed, but here I am. Maybe an instrument of your love, Jesus. He could have gone that direction. But instead, he wanted to justify himself. Well, who's my neighbor? Anyone who resists God always has excuses. Anyone who rejects God, it leads to rationalization. You always have excuses when you try to quench the Holy Spirit. You don't need any excuses when you're faithful. So I could make up excuses here, but you know, who's my neighbor? And when he asks that question, it kind of looks intellectual. It looks spiritual. Oh, he's an expert. Ooh, he's asking a deep question. Oh, he wants to discuss this. How noble that he would say, who is my neighbor? Yeah, let's go into that. Why is he asking? Because it's a lot easier to quibble over theology than to actually take action and love your neighbor. It's a lot easier to have a Bible discussion than to actually go love your neighbor. Should we have Bible discussions? Yes. But it's a whole lot easier to just go, well, I don't think everything in the church is perfect, and and so I'm not going to love my neighbor. 
well, you know, let's just talk about the end times and nail down the ecclesiology and the eschatology before I'm really going to love my neighbor. And we got all these, I'm going to do this, know this, talk about this. It's easier to quibble over the minors than to do the majors. And that was one challenge at seminary. It's like, okay, let's learn, let's discuss, but now let's do it together. And the tension here in this passage is thick. The tension is thick. Don't miss that, the tone of this passage. So what are the needs of today? I was at a pastor's conference for World Vision. Edgar Sandoval was teaching, and he was sharing that there's 50 million people right now who face starvation. 50 million people. Statistics get my attention because I start to think about the stories and how much we have and how much they don't have. 50 million people today. 100 million people are displaced Have you noticed all the people that are refugees in the world today, just looking for a home? Have you noticed the people that are now in America or in our community who are coming out of desperate situations, don't have family around, barely made it here? Notice those people. And then 339 million that need humanitarian aid right now. They need humanitarian aid. He also mentioned almost 3 billion people who have not heard the good news about Jesus, a relationship with God the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Almost three billion. When he said that number, God stirred in me. And I just sense like, that's part of my calling is I wanna be part of the solution. I I, I want everyone to know. Don't you want everyone to know about Jesus? And what, with all the resources God's given to us, how much could we do together? What could we do to make a difference? And these are important things. No food, no water, right? Displaced, refugee, on the run, abused, beaten, haven't heard about Jesus. You don't have to look far in this world to find millions of people in that situation. There is no shortage in the world today. And as we hear this, we just think, help us, Lord Jesus, to love how you love. We want to return to Jesus, return to his love, return to the calling, return to the kingdom of God and building it up, returning to what's most important. And ultimately, I believe this with all my heart, selfless people will bring the healing to the land. Selfish people will never bring the healing to the land. The call that Jesus is bringing right here is for people to be unselfishly compassionate, to take action, to do something about the conditions in the land. Because if nothing is done, nothing will improve. It'll only get worse. And complaining won't change it either. So he hones in. He hones in from this theological start to then pointing out some people have a lot of answers and not much action. And this man who asked the question starting to feel some conviction at this point. Jesus then steps into the parable. And in verse 30, in reply, Jesus says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the half-dead man, he passed by on the other side. Some people have religion, but not much compassion. Some people have a lot of religion and not much compassion. 
Here's a few pictures of that road, 17 miles from Jerusalem down to Jericho. It's a descension because you're going from about 2,500 feet above sea level to about 1,000 feet below sea level. You're walking through desert terrain, lots of windy roads, lots of twists and turns. There's lots of blind spots as you travel down these roads, and it's really prime territory for criminals thieves because they can hide behind rocks and when a group comes around a corner or a person comes around the corner they can beat up take advantage of that person and this road was known it was notorious for thieves who would beat up people and take their stuff and that's what happened to this man in the parable he's now half dead he's in pain half dead do you notice the people who are half dead around you maybe they're spiritually or emotionally or relationally, kind of half dead. Maybe they're physically really suffering. They're half dead. Do you notice the people? What do you do when you notice these people? What action do we take when we notice these people in pain who are struggling and hurting and don't have anyone to help them? Well, in the parable, you get kind of excited because you're like, the priest is coming. Yes, If we could send anybody from the church, from the temple, let's send the priests. Priests know what to do. And the priest starts to walk down this road. A priest in that context was from Aaron's lineage. A priest was respected. A priest was known to be religious. And he was top of the spiritual food chain in that culture. Everyone would be thinking, that's who we need to send. So what does the priest do? The priest walks by on the other side. What a phrase, the other side. I think I'm just gonna stay on the other side and be very priestly on the other side. Well, who's next? A Levite. Okay, that's probably our second choice. A Levite isn't in Aaron's lineage, but a Levite is a step-up leader. A Levite, kind of an associate, has a lot of responsibilities in the temple. Here comes the Levite. When I think about our church, I am so grateful. We celebrate. We have over 200 people serving in leadership in our church. Can we give it up and thank every leader in our church? And I don't know the exact number, but it's pushing closer to 500 people who are serving in our church, serving each other, serving the church family, serving this morning. Can we thank the almost 500 people who are serving our church family? are so grateful. And when you hear priest and Levite, and I'm not sharing this message because there's a lack of love and serving in our church. I'm not saying our church fits here. I'm not trying to point a finger at a few specific people. I've got nobody in mind. I'm preaching this text. And what I see in this text is that those who are known as being on staff or leaders or in certain positions or people who are known in the church around the community, that's someone who goes to church. They walk by on the other side. On the other side. And it would be so easy to come up with excuses. On, there's always lots of excuses on the other side. Well, it's not my formal role. I, I never volunteered for the road down to Jericho committee. Uh, I'm off duty. I, I punched my time card. I'm sorry. I'm out of the temple. I do a lot of serving in the temple. But, but then when I leave the temple, I'm not really in serve mode. I'm kind of in me mode. I'm kind of scared. It looks a little dangerous. 
Oh, I'm about retirement age, so I'm actually slowing down. I'm looking for the next generation to come, you know, help people like this. It's their time to step up. Like, just all the excuses that roll through our mind. This is why I can't do it. I'm not eloquent with words. I haven't taken first aid classes. I just, I don't know. I don't think I can really do this. It doesn't have my name on it. Well, have you ever said no to God, but then later realized that wasn't the right response? Have you ever had that sense where the Holy Spirit talks to you later? It's like, okay, I listened to all your excuses and you're rationalized. It's like, I I heard all of that, but you were supposed to do it. You were supposed to do it. Well, Jesus said it over and over again to make it clear, starting in John chapter 13, with the disciples, because he would ascend after his death and resurrection, there's an ascension. And he says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. It's new in the sense, not that they've never heard that before, but it's going to be done in new ways with new power and the Holy Spirit. As I have loved you, so you must. That's not a suggestion. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know. That you are my disciples if, if, if you love one another. Could he have been any clearer? I mean, people are going to know. How are they going to know you follow Jesus? By the way you love the people in this room. That's going to make it really evident. Because people don't usually see a group of people with different generations and personalities and ethnicities coming together and loving each other, genuinely united in friendships, caring for each other, praying for each other, serving one another. And that's going to stand out. Someone's going to notice that. And it's almost like Jesus had this plan that he would ascend, give us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would help us every day. We would say yes, love each other, and then the world would see the love of Jesus. That's what he lays out in this parable as well. In Romans chapter 13, verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. It's a privilege and honor responsibility we have to love each other well. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Let's say God is love together. God is love. God is love. God is light. God is a consuming fire. It just doesn't work if someone walks around real religious talking and doesn't really love other people. Saying, oh, I know God so well, but it's kind of hard to see God's fervent and passionate love in their relationships. If there's not a lot of love going horizontally, it might be time to check in vertically and start receiving God's love and giving God's love so that you're filled up and there's an overflow to love other people. And all this is laid out. This is a stunner. This is a stunner because everyone looks up to the Levites and the priests. Everyone looks up. They have a position. They have titles. They have prestige. They have Bible knowledge. These are the ones that are supposed to represent God. They have this incredible reputation in the community. We look up to them. And Jesus is stepping in saying, It's not how things appear. In fact, the ones who you look up to that have this big reputation, who have been in the church a long time, who really know the Bible, if you really looked at their lives, you would see they're passive. You'd see they're not very courageous. They don't take relationship risks. 
they're not really doing my kingdom work. They have these false limits on their lives. They've just settled in and rationalized. They have excuses. And that's why things are how they are now. And you think they like that message? (laughs) For Jesus to step in and call it out the way it was, all this religion, not much compassion, for him to step in, you know what they wanted to do after this parable? Kill him. Because he didn't just teach it, he lived it. And the more he lived it, they wanted to kill him. Religious people are threatened when someone calls them out. They want to kill Jesus after saying this parable. They don't want the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't change the fact that love sees and love does something. Love meets needs. And for this man who wanted to take the love of God and make it really small and really shallow and say, who is my neighbor? Jesus said, that's not how it works in the kingdom. My love is so much deeper and it's so much wider and we will not play your fake religious games. You can fool other people, but that's not the kingdom of God. That's the message in this parable. It's more than, it's not a Hallmark tone in this parable. It's not a Hallmark movie. It's just not. And so we get back to the text. Well, what was happening here? Look at verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, And took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, two days wages, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses that you may have. Some people make a difference and it's compassion in action. It's compassion that leads to action. God, deliver us from compassion with no action. Compassion in action makes the difference. And how do you view people? How do you view people? For the expert in the law, he viewed people as a discussion point. An interesting theological, biblical discussion about people. That's how he viewed people. For the thieves, they viewed people as opportunities to twist, manipulate, steal, take advantage of, step on someone so you can go a little further. That was the thieves' perspective for people. Well, what about the Levites and the priests? How do they view people? Um, if it's not too messy, if it's not too difficult, I I like some people, you know, the easier people, uh, that's where I hang out is with the easy people. Let's try to avoid the other people. And then what about the Samaritan? Loves people, pursues people, serves people, takes care of people. There's the contrast here. And the irony is the Samaritans were looked down upon. You know, Samaritans were a mixture because there were Jews in exile that then intermarried with Gentiles. Samaritans are half Jewish, half Gentile. So people looked at the mixed race and for Jews that were in Abraham's descendants and lineage, they thought the Samaritans were kind of a half breed. They saw them as second class. There was a lot of tension, hostility for a Samaritan Jesus didn't pick Samaritan by accident in this parable. For a Samaritan to be someone that's setting the example, this person who's asking wouldn't even talk to a Samaritan. And do you see what Jesus just brought? He flipped it upside down. I want to tell you, if you're here today 
and you are someone in your family, there's two nationalities, two races, two ethnicities, you are no less than anyone else. If someone tries to look down upon you, do not receive it. If you're married today and there's two nationalities, ethnicities, two different cultures that have come together, praise God, your marriage is no less than anyone else. No less, no less. You don't have to walk around in any shame. Don't carry any of that. The Samaritans dealt with that entire lives. I'm sorry if you've been dealing with that for a long time. The important part is how God sees you. And God is exalting and lifting up the Samaritans that the world tries to push down. And the irony is this man won't even acknowledge Samaritans. And who's being a neighbor? The Samaritan. The Samaritan. You see, there's a lot of people that are in lofty positions but God knows the real story. And there's a lot of people in this world that are pushed down into low places. God knows the real story. And God lays it up with this Samaritan, blesses it. Anyone can bring the love of God. Anyone can cross the street. The most unlikely person can bring the love of God and cross the road. And this is what stands out to me. It was risky. The robbers and thieves might still be there. It was costly. Two days wages and then all the extra expenses. And it was done boldly to a complete stranger expecting nothing in return. When is the last time you've given a massive gift to a complete stranger with nothing expected in return? You see, that's a bold step. It was costly, it was risky, and it was done boldly. That's the combination in the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus did. It was risky to leave heaven. It was costly to die on a cross. It was bold to do it for every nation and generation and to lay down his life. You won't change that combination. This is a kingdom. It's not passive. It's not selfish. It's done boldly. It's risky. It's costly. This is the work of God. That's how God moves. For anyone who says, I'm in, God will do incredible things. And the gospel is in this story. We can relate to the one who's beat up, half dead. Actually, spiritually, we were dead and God gave us life. We were dead and God gave us life. We can't save ourselves. Over half America thinks you can save yourself. Over half America thinks you can save yourself. I got news. We can't save ourselves. We need a savior. Good works don't save us. We need the forgiveness of someone who's human, died in our place. The Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Amen. We can relate to this story on that level as well. There's a lot of things happening. And I want to encourage you. And I'm so grateful that our church is crossing the road together. When I think about the drive through prayer for the last two years, I talked to someone today that was homeless, prayed for, came into our church, now part of our church family, ready to serve. Just so grateful to be in a church family. Drive through prayer, literally, cross the parking lot, cross the road. What else? Compassion Washington. You have an opportunity this summer. All sorts of different gifts. This is the second year in a row. We're combining with other churches to bring medical and dental to meet those needs together. Also, uh, we have a compassion, and it's the Samaritan Fund. Compassionate that we help people in need at our church right here. In addition, there are also uh, many people who drive over to Green River on Sunday mornings and bring our friends from other nations. There's so many international students at Green River that want to ride. You might not know this. If you're thinking, well, where do I start today? 
There are people from other nations. We're so glad they're here. They just don't have a ride to church. And many of you have stepped up and said, I'll cross the road and I'll bring them to church. And we love spending time with them. There's more that want to come. That could be your place to cross the road today. The food bank in Auburn, many are serving and have served through the food bank in different capacities. We have a ministry where many of you have stepped up in last years to help survivors of human trafficking. It's such an important ministry. That's another opportunity to cross the road. Our digital ministry, we're meeting people where they're at. Not just as a church, which we are, but also individually. So many of you, you're making relationships and connections and comments that are happening online. You're making disciples. You're leading people to Jesus through that incredible opportunity, historic opportunity right now. Life groups go out and cross the road and serve together. We've got about 50 life groups and take initiative. And then it doesn't have to be an official formal program. It's simply we want to wake up every day and bless people. You heard one blessed story. What happens when you wake up in the morning and say, God, who can I bless today? Who can I pray for? Who can I listen to? Who can I serve? Who can I share with today? And we were just talking this week uh, about a possible event at Gasworks Park, downtown Seattle, in gathering together to praise Jesus and what God might do. Pray for that this summer, that that would come together. The point is, you go where people are. It's compassion and action and you check in the differentiator in this passage, the Samaritan, compassion in action. We're probably all gonna leave today saying, yes, love our neighbor, love our neighbor. Yes, that's a good verse. We're all gonna leave doing that. And then some of us will leave and take a lot of action and some of us will leave and not take much action. And I just wanna highlight from this parable, when we say love our neighbors, it's not about words or another Bible study on it, although that's good. It's not just about, I agree with love or neighbor. It's always clear in the actions. The answer, your answer, who is my neighbor? Your answer is your actions. It's not a Bible study quiz that we're gonna hand out before you leave. <laughs> who is your neighbor? Your answer is your actions. Yeah. And that's what Jesus says. It leads to the last truth. Jesus is guiding us, all of us, to the other side of the road where God is going to heal and transform lives. In verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man? Jesus asks questions that are so obvious. It's like, hey, let me tell you, which one do you think? Do you think it was the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? Not a hard question, right? Which of the three do you think was a neighbor? He asks more obvious questions when hearts are harder. The harder the heart, the more obvious the question. Which of the three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, uh, uh, doesn't want to say Samaritan. Uh, 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 the one who had mercy. Won't even acknowledge the Samaritan. Just the one who had mercy. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Jesus is the ultimate neighbor. Real love, costly, risky, it's done boldly. He lives this out. And all of us have a choice. It's the same choice, it's the same crossroads. Today and this week, I'm either gonna go with my plan or the master's plan. I'm either gonna go with my master plan. All of us kind of have a master plan for the week. Here's my schedule, this is everything I want to have happen, this is how I want it to look, this is my, I don't want a lot of interruptions, I'm focused, this is my to-do list. Like, I've got my master plan for the week or I'm gonna go with the master's plan for the week. And if you hold too tightly to your master plan, you might miss the kingdom work that the master has for you this week. And grace crosses the road. 
has a double meaning. Our church, may we always be a church that crosses the road. God's grace crosses the road. And doesn't just walk across the road, but does far more than expected. God's grace through us crossing the road. Locally and globally, we have many international partners. God has raised up over half of them from our church. We're ascending church in Slovenia. Sebastian and Gloria share this story. By God's grace, over the years, we've developed very good relationships with the mayor's office and the local youth center. Each year, we have a few opportunities to help them with some daily activities, programs. But now they've also asked us to continue to prepare and run, in July, a week-long kids' camp. Now, since they're a secular organization, we've asked them if we could share Bible stories with kids and super book Christian cartoons. Who wouldn't want those, right? That's very disarming. They agreed, and we had an opportunity to give kids Bibles. Forty kids now have Bibles. Incredible. The parents thanked us. They have the Bibles. Most of the kids that were there don't have Bibles, and they've never heard about Jesus. They've never heard the gospel. In Slovenia, it makes Seattle look like the Bible Belt. There is one church for that whole region sharing about Jesus. We have over 100 churches, easily, solid ones, I could recommend. Uh, When you think about that dynamic, the step, cross the road, build a relationship with the mayor, the city, and then through those activities, start to bring the love of Jesus. That's what it looks like in Slovenia. What does it look like in the sound for us to do that? And this is how God always works. There's needs, meet the needs, build a relationship, lead people to Jesus. It's not gonna change. It's not too complex. You see the needs people have. They're physical, they're emotional, they're financial, they're relational. Go meet the needs, build the relationship, lead people to Jesus. If you're not meeting needs, you're probably not gonna build relationships. If you're not building relationships, you're probably not gonna lead people to Jesus. You meet some needs, you cross the road, you build some relationships and love some people and listen to them and their stories and their pain and, you, and, and then you're praying for them and then you're gonna lead them to Jesus. And that's how it works in the kingdom of God. It has for 2,000 years. That's the way Jesus did it. I'm just summarizing this series in the kingdom of God. You say, well, how do lives change? How, does, how is there any healing? You got unselfish people who are flawed and messed up and don't have all the gifts or the talents or the answers. Just come to Jesus and say, please, Jesus, help me to love people the way you do and see them the way you do. And I'll just start to meet a few needs and then build a few relationships. And you know what? I'll open up my home and then pretty soon... What happens? They say, who is that God you serve? Because this is different than what I grew up hearing about. And you let them know about Jesus. It's a time uh, to praise the Lord right now for all that God's gonna do. My, My encouragement to you is cross the road. Cross the road. As you read this parable, God is healing over there. God is saving over there. God is transforming over there. But you got to cross the road. The man half dead is not going to get up and walk across the road. You've got to walk across the road. Crossing the road is better than just staying over here and acting all religious with the right answers. Oh, I'm so religious. I have so many right answers. I'm so religious. I have so many right answers. But will you cross the road? Go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for delivering us from just the illusion of dead religion, selfishness, whole bunch of excuses, 
Deliver us from that junk today, Jesus, through this parable and together in love and in humility and truth and in your victories. We pray for healing in the land, healing in Auburn. I heard about drive-by shootings today. I heard about kids bringing guns to school today. I'm hearing so much today, God. There's such a need. We wanna be people who cross the road together, full of faith for your glory. And we'll give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.